Good morning. My name is Dan, and I'm a leader here, and I want to thank you for, for joining us uh, this morning. I'd like you to start, humor me a bit, I'd like you to start by closing your eyes, because I want you to imagine something with me. If you're new here, I'm not going to be talking about spirit animals or anything like that. Close your eyes, it'll be fine. I want you to imagine for a moment that church doesn't exist. Not just this church, there's no church anywhere. I want you to imagine that you're walking through life alone, outside of maybe your family, the neighbors that you know. I want you to imagine Bible study. Just imagine studying the Bible without anyone else to help you understand it or to help you pray through it. I want you to recall all the best moments of your life but with no other believers to celebrate with. Just think about that for a minute. I want you to recall the hardest moments in your life, but with no community to help you. Just imagine having to work through that by yourself. Imagine local or global missions. Would they, would they even exist? I think if they did, they would be very rare. Now open your eyes. That's a pretty bad dream, right? What's worse than that? What's worse than no community? Isolation. I actually think there's something worse worse than that, worse than isolation. And it's this. It's to be alone in a crowd. Have you ever been there? To be in a physical company of even hundreds of people, but nobody remembers your name. Nobody asks how you're doing. Nobody cares. Maybe they smile, maybe they shake your hand, but at the end it just breaks up and they all go home and your problems are still there. I think that's actually, um, that's hell on earth, to be honest. But what's so ironic is that for a lot of people, that's church. That's church. There are over 300,000 churches in America, yet there are so many lonely people, aren't there? I don't know if you're one of them. That might be you today. Maybe you've experienced a lifetime of just fake smiles and handshakes that meant nothing. Or maybe you've been coming here for a long time, and yet you're just still kind of lonely. You're just not all in. When the sermon ends, when the singing ends, you just dodge kids on your way out to the car. Either way, there's hope. Because... The goal of our church is this. We want to minister God's grace to your heart because God's grace is the exact opposite of what I just said. We want you to be driven by the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that changes everything we do because we believe it's true. Because it is. Grace changes how we preach our sermons. Grace changes how we talk in the lobby. Grace changes how we teach children downstairs. It changes how we share in small groups, or if we share in small groups, it means we do. How we reach out to the community and how we meet together during the week. Grace changes everything. We believe in the grace of Jesus so much that our church principles come directly from the Bible. It's not just based on what sounds good. 
We have three principles. You, you may have already heard them. They're right on your handout every week. It's our name, Grace, Fellowship, Church. And I say that because they are very, very much interconnected. Here's why. Grace comes from God vertically down to us. That causes us to live and it gives us fellowship with him. And our response to that is to meet together weekly and care for everybody here. And that pushes us outward to share the good news with the rest of the world. You got that? Vertical grace impacts horizontal relationships, which causes us to reach the world. That's basically all I'm going to be saying today. I'm just going to take 25 more minutes to say it. <laughs> today, my goal is to introduce you to those three principles. And then over the next three weeks, we're going to walk deeply through each of them individually. How I'll introduce them, since Gene did a great job of defending the scriptures, is I'm just going to walk you through scripture that explains each of these three principles. So I'm just going to show you why we value the Bible so much. So let's start. Please turn with me to Ephesians 2 as we examine our first principle, which is grace. And if you look on your outline, you'll see that I've kind of already answered the question, grace is life from death. Let me read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. Here it is. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Do you guys see what grace is? God made us alive. In other words, we were dead. That is, that is saving personified. It means the other person contributes nothing. It's all God. Now pause with me. What can a dead man offer another dead man? Except two people laying there. Nothing. Compare that to God who raises the dead. What can God do? Everything. So what happens is God's grace is vertically extended down to you, and that causes you to live. And that's true for every Christian. Every Christian. The old guy with the suit that always wears a suit that's been coming for a hundred years, him. And the new believer who still has like, they have like the piercings and they kind of look the opposite of the other guy. Both of them are equally alive. That's astounding. Everyone who is a Christian is a dead person raised up. Your spouse, your family, your friends, if they are in Christ, they are alive because of Jesus. Not because of this church, not because they memorized the Bible, because Jesus said, live. Let me flesh that out just a little bit by reading a portion of our church principle on grace. This is right on the website. Our relationship with God through its beginning, development, and completion is completely by grace through faith alone. By grace, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. By grace, the Lord causes us to repent of the sin that still indwells us. By grace, he transforms us into his image over time until we stand perfected before him in heaven. We never grow out of our need for God's grace. 
never. It is the way we know God and become more like him. Now there's an implication in all that, and it's this. Grace is a lifestyle, not just a one-time event. Have you guys ever heard that? Like, Jesus saves me, and then nothing changes. No, it's a lifestyle. And here's the application. Here's how we respond to that. Don't get bored with grace. Don't get bored with grace. And I say that on purpose because we talk about grace a whole lot here. Don't we? Here's why. Every time you sin, whether by thought or by action, you demonstrate that you still need grace. So if you're bored by grace, it's a sign that you really need grace. So let me just say this. When you stop sinning, we'll stop talking about grace. (laughs) This is the Christian life. This is the Christian life. We're spurring ourselves and we're spurring one another to look more like Jesus, yet we're being patient with one another when we fail. And that happens a lot. We're like porcupines in winter. You ever hear that one? Porcupines in winter. We're drawing near to one another because it's cold out, but drawing near really hurts. And not just because of sin. I want to to make that clear. It's not just because of sin. Because the church, by definition, is made up of people who have very little in common besides Jesus, right? We've got college students. We've got like 50 or 60 people here. We've got college students. We've got families. We've got kids. Do we have kids? We've got people from different church backgrounds. We've got people that have no church background. We've got different cultural backgrounds, different political leanings, different economical backgrounds, different parenting philosophies, different education levels. And among all those demographics, we've got every personality type that you can dream up. Just pause for a moment. If you took away Jesus as a common interest, how many, how many people in this room would you hang out with? Be honest. I got like 10. I'm just being real. What unifies us is none of that stuff. What unifies us is our desperate need for grace. It's what keeps us from becoming that smiling, fake, dead church I just mentioned. Our need for grace is plenty to unify us because God is everything and we're nothing. And so that makes growing together a privilege. Look at point two in your outline. Fellowship is our messy privilege. In advance, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. While you're doing that, I've already explained what the mess looks like, I think. And if you're still unsure, just keep coming. You'll see it. So now let's define what fellowship is. And then I'm going to drill home how much of a privilege it is. Let me define fellowship from the Bible by looking at a case study of a very messy church. Just so you're reminded that they're not bringing anything to the table. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 4 through 9. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. 
that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Did you spot the definition of fellowship? It's right there in verse 9. Fellowship is a state we are in with Jesus our Savior. Wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. Why don't we go to church, right? You ever meet somebody like that? Like, oh, like Jesus and I, we're buds, but I don't hang out. I don't, I don't, need, I don't need church. I got Jesus. You ever meet somebody like that? Why go to church? Because we're still in a very messy world. We need to gather and remind ourselves of grace because we forget all the time. And if you forget that you forget, it shows that you've really forgotten. Got that? Okay. We need to gather and remind ourselves of grace. And what makes this point so crazy is if you know what kind of a church Corinth was. The Corinthian church was in a civil war when Paul was writing this letter. There was slander. They were divided amongst which, which preacher they liked the best. There was theft. There were people getting drunk on the communion wine. It's a crazy letter. Go ahead and read that. Read up on that when you can. Yet notice Paul, who planted the church, notice how he starts the letter. He does not start the letter by writing, Dear Corinth, it has come to my attention. He doesn't say that. Isn't that how you would want to start off your letter? What are you doing? Why are you doing this stuff? Now, Paul first calls them brothers. Brothers? Brothers. He does not light a match and start over. I would. He reminds them instead of their state with Jesus and the rest of the letter is him showing them how much they've forgotten. So he gives grace, but he calls them to holiness. Do you see the illustration of point one? There's kind of this one-time event, but then there's this lifetime. You're forgetting. Let me remind you, patiently, he calls them to holiness. So fellowship is two things, really. It's celebrating the state we're in with Jesus. It's an identity. And it's calling one another to the hard work of living like him. So we're celebrating this fellowship we have with Jesus, and our response to that horizontally is having fellowship with each other. That's real church. Because we are always in need of grace. Now let me flesh that out by reading part of our church principle on fellowship. This is again on the website. We are a tight-knit fellowship committed to serving God together. As we look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, that's Philippians, we care then for each other. We also call every member to actively labor in the church because the ministry of the church occurs through all of our members. The spiritual growth and maturity of each member is key. As a fellowship, we have banded together to humbly help each member 
grow into the mature disciples of Christ. Now, there are countless ways fellowship is done. There are countless ways that that plays out. In the coming weeks, we'll give you lots of applications. Today, I'm just going to show you one very current example of how I've seen it done well. Here's an example of how I've seen fellowship done well. My wife Becky and I have been going through some very difficult things in the past few months. Not the least of which has been the death of Becky's mother. How much harder do you think that would be if we had no church? Just think about that. How much harder would that be? Or worse, or worse, if we attended a surface-level, moralistic church and nobody cared, how much worse would it be? How much would the pain not heal? Instead, every night, this is not exaggeration, every night, Becky has been reading and responding to text messages and calls that she has been getting from many of you every night. We've had busy families, some of them with twice as many children as us, offering to babysit. You do not do that unless you love someone. (laughs) You have put us ahead of your own interests. I looked at Becca the other day. It was a, the end of a particularly hard afternoon. It was winding down, and I said to her, we are rich in the things that matter. We are rich in the things that matter. You, church, are an example of God's grace to us. Because you know Why? Our family has been the mess. We've been the mess. There were days I was like, I don't want to get up. I don't want to do stuff. And you came in. Fellowship with you is a daily and weekly reminder of the hope that the Miller family has with Jesus, our Savior. That's the privilege of fellowship. When we care deeply for one another, Messy as that is, we are unified. And sometimes it means you taking a person and saying, we're going to be unified. You don't wait for their permission. You just go in. Isn't that amazing? All these different people unified because of Jesus. And even better, God doesn't just give us grace and fellowship here. He sends us everywhere. Don't just keep it to yourself. This is good news. We get to go beyond our walls and send people all over the world with the gospel of grace. And as a result, people everywhere get set free. That is point three on your outline. Church is the mission of global fellowship. Turn to Matthew 28. Turn to Matthew 28 while you're finding it. We're going to talk global mission first. Let me help you understand what that is. And then I'm going to connect it back to fellowship. I'm going to really drive home fellowship. Here's why Jesus sends us globally. It's right here in Matthew 28. Because Jesus was not content to redeem only the Jews. Jesus was not content to redeem only the Jews. Matthew 28, I'm going to read verses 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee... 
to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You've probably heard that one a bunch of times. I pray the Lord makes it fresh for you today. Jesus sends us to all nations because his heart is for all nations. You know, make a couple observations from the text. Verses 18 and 19, Jesus commands us with the authority of heaven to go. It's command because I think he knows that it's not easy. I have to tell somebody to do that. It's not like, oh, yay, all nations. That's hard. In other words, here's what's going on. If we live beyond these four walls and we extend grace to the lost, we're not getting like bonus points. This isn't like, hey, you guys, you guys got an A, you want to go for the A plus? Us reaching the world, we're just demonstrating that we believe Jesus raised from the dead. That's all that's happening. No bonus points. That's like part, that's a package deal. Church and then beyond church. What's happening, all that's happening, remember cosmically, is we're extending that vertical grace that we received that made us alive. And we're not just extending it to our home church because it's better than that. We're extending it globally so that people everywhere can live. How is that possible? Because that's crazy. That's a pretty crazy mission. Look at verse 20. Jesus is with us as we go. All authority in heaven, I am with you. The person who has all authority is with us. He's not just sending us while he sits at home. And there's an implication there. On his strength, we'll reach the world. We will reach the world on his strength. Not can, will. That's our mission. And the cool thing is, is we can do that two ways. Number one, we can actually go to other countries, and we've done it. We've sent people out. Or we can reach them right here in State College. Let me explain that by reading a portion of our third core value, which is church. Here's a core value, part of it anyway. Because we're located in a transient community, God gives us a unique opportunity to impact the world for Christ. As God works through us to make disciples of Christ, he often calls our members to other places. Whether in state college or in the remotest parts of the world, our church embraces God's call to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. This means a very, very good thing to the world. Hope where there's no hope, that's all. Don't get lost in all the metaphors. So how do we apply that? We apply that this way. Go or send with total confidence in Jesus. Not everybody's called to go. You know, if you're home, you're a business guy, make a bunch of money, give it to missions, send, great, awesome. If you want to go, go. Is that easy? Right? I mean, all authority in heaven, go, makes it easy, right? No. <laughs> it's not easy because remember, we're still messy, Right? I'm no less messy than I was 10 minutes ago before I started talking about going out into the world. Still messy. Remember how messy fellowship here can be? Now, what happens if you mix in even more radically different cultures 
And in some cases, you remove the ability to speak the same language. Is that going to be more messy or less messy? Right. Like, if I can't get along with this guy over here, and he speaks English, and he also likes baseball, what about this person who's like, what's a baseball? And they say it in a language I don't even understand. That's going to be hard. That's going to be hard. But that's my point. Global fellowship is even messier than fellowship here, but in that, it brings God even more glory. How much glory does it bring God when you reach somebody in complete weakness? He did everything. Now, he, he, he did everything whether you thought he did or not, but it brings him so much glory when a person who has nothing except the cross of Christ goes in faith. Different churches working together, people going overseas, and all it takes is for us to go believing in God's vertical grace and extending it to the world. I heard a story once of a man who went in faith overseas to serve the Lord. He didn't even really know the language. He was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. God wants me to speak that language. You know, I'll learn it. I'll learn it as I go. He just went. Not long after he arrived, he was at a bus stop. And he didn't even know what else to do because he doesn't understand the language. So he just starts whistling the melody of an old hymn. I don't even know what the hymn was. He just started whistling. A local man walked by and stopped, and he identified the song, and he recognized that this missionary was a Christian, and the two embraced as like they were brothers. You don't need English. Just go. God might use a hymn. When we see God as big, the world will not be such a scary place. So I challenge you, if, if, if you think that's blocking you, go in faith. You don't even need English. <clears throat> if you want to learn English, learn English. I'm not stopping you from doing that. That's how we go from a pile of dead people to a church that reaches the world. Little old Grace Fellowship, 50 plus people in State College can accomplish the great commission of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's only 50 or so of us, but think about it. How many people did the apostles reach? How many did they reach? Their work is why we're here today. How many people will be impacted by your legacy? By our legacy? Because we're the distant grandchildren of the apostles' family, who is made a family by Jesus. So that's our church. So let me sum it up. We receive vertical grace as a life-giving gift from God, and this gives us fellowship with Jesus. We celebrate that fellowship by meeting together in fellowship, bending that vertical grace outwards, and calling one another to live more like Jesus, being patient with everyone. In doing this, we unify radically different people, and this enables us to go beyond our walls in love to serve the world, making disciples of all nations. So with that in mind, welcome to Grace Fellowship. Let's pray.
Dear God, we thank you so much for raising us to life. If there's anyone here that has experienced a lifetime of false friendship, of, of distance from people who does not know you, we ask that first and foremost you would raise them from the dead. Because without that, it doesn't matter how good our music is, it doesn't matter how good our preaching is, they are not alive. So would you first raise them from the dead? And Lord, from that, would you challenge us evermore to draw near as brothers and sisters in you, laying down our preferences so that we can move your kingdom forward, not just so that everyone here knows and loves you, but so that everyone out there hears and knows and experiences and lives by the love of your son, Jesus. Dear God, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for making us new creations. Would we celebrate that by singing? Amen.